We can all go home now. We let the children's ministry design the series because we want the children involved. So each week you're going to hear from a different child in their family. And so uh, Mary Grace wrote that. And uh, that was her, those are her thoughts and her words. So it's pretty spectacular, isn't it? You know, out of the mouth of children. All right, how many of you uh, received an Advent devotion this morning in the, on your email? Okay, good. Those of you that didn't raise your hands, either you didn't check your email yet, or we don't have your email on file because we send it to everybody that comes to our church. And every, every year, the elders and staff... We put together a series of Advent devotions that are written by our elders and staff, uh, one every day from now until Christmas. So if you did not get an email, uh, out there on the welcome table is a sign-up. You can give us your email. We uh, promise not to sell it unless we can make money on it. And then uh, we'll consider that seriously. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, we'll use it to send you the devotion every day. So sign up for that. On the back of your bulletin is a whole lot of announcements. Now that Advent is here, things that you need to pay attention to. We have the town lighting, Dillon Town Lighting, this Thursday. If you've not been to that, it is a blast. We've done it two years in a row. We have six or 700 people running around here, many of which have not been to church before. This is our first time, and so the staff and the pastors, we run around picking up kids, and by the end of the night, we're just covered in goo, and we have a great time. So come and be part of it. It's really a lot of fun. You can see there about the DCC Women's Christmas Dinner and Accessories Sale. You can read about that. Snowboarders and Skiers for Christ, they have a vision night coming up. Uh, how many of you know that we host a Snowboarders uh, SFC ministry right here? If you've not been here on a Sunday night sometime, you should stop in during the ski season. It's spectacular. It's that room upstairs is just filled, filled with uh, youth. It's great. I try to come over once a month and get a free dinner out of it. So... <laughs> You notice the last one, this is actually a very important one. Christmas Eve, for those of you that have not been here, we have a 1,000 people here in two services, 500. So this room is packed. We fill up all the front row. We put chairs down the side. The narthex has people in it. The uh, commons is filled with people. And so we have 500 in each service. And so we need help. We need help ushering, greeting, and a variety of other things. So please think and pray about getting involved on one of those services. We have two services on Christmas Eve. Okay, as we do uh, before our sermons, I want to stop and lift up some things in prayer to the Lord. So let's pray together. Father, we first of all continue to lift up Don and Patty. It was so great to see them here last service. And uh, I pray for Don as he continues to fight cancer. Lord, that um, that you would strengthen him. Lord, as he nears the end of this chemo set, I pray for continued strength. And Lord, we don't care how you do it. We just pray that you would heal him and just get rid of this nonsense because we need him. And Father, I pray for Roy and Nancy Herring. It has been a while since we've lifted them up, but thank you, Lord, that he's still cancer-free. He has his next uh, cancer screening this week, and we pray that the results would be good as well. Thanks for being an encouragement to them. And Father, I pray for our tree lighting this coming Thursday. Lord, I know there'll be a lot of people here who don't know you, and I pray that this might be just one of those one of those places on the road where they get to hear about you and experience your love in new ways, ways they hadn't thought of before. And finally, Father, I lift up our nation, our country. Uh, Lord, uh, the election's over, and you have decided, and Lord, we have as divided a nation as I've ever seen, and we, we need your help. 
I pray for our president, Lord, and our government. In fact, I pray for all of our leaders from the president down to our, our local uh, mayors and town councils and people that are making so many decisions week in and week out. Give them wisdom, God. Guide them. Uh, lead, help them to lead us to be a good people. Father, I pray for the transition in our new president that you would have your will and way with him as well and his cabinet and uh, what he puts together. And Father, I pray for our divided nation. I pray that you would help us as Christians, as a church, to be a people of hope to the people around us that uh, are either overjoyed and gloating or those that are very distraught and concerned and afraid. Help us, Lord, to know how to love them well. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. One of the things I do every morning is I get up and I read the headlines. Uh, it's a great thing about phones. I can pick which things I want to learn about. And so I have a sampling of headlines that I read from all around the world, a variety of sources. And I've been paying attention all week. And uh, if you do that, if you stop and look at headlines, you will probably experience what I experience, a country, in fact, a world largely divided, characterized by hostility, anger, uh, without hope. It's an amazing, amazing place we are. We find ourselves as a country. We can't agree on who should be the president. I mean, our nation is divided. If you just look at the popular vote, it's like, you know, two different groups. And uh, we can't agree on that. We can't agree on basic cultural values that should be prioritized. One of the things I did heading up to the election is uh, I love to engage people in discussion. I think you know that by now. So, And, and I've been around various places talking to people. I've asked them. I've said, I don't care about who you're going to vote for. What I want to know is, what are, the, what are some of the values that are important to you as you make the decision? And, uh, and man, the values are all over the map on what's important. And I, I know that surprises you, doesn't it, in our county? So we, we have a hard time even agreeing on what the basic cultural values are that should be prioritized. I, I never thought I would have seen this, but policemen are being targeted both for revenge as well as a place to begin racial tension. We had our first arrest, I read this week, for a, a minority couple that targeted police specifically for that. And so that does say something that's wrong. There's something really evil about that. But it also says something about some of our minorities and the way they feel. And this is something we've not resolved as a nation. We may have come some distance since 1964, but boy, we still have a long ways to go. A lot, of, a lot of stuff this week, international criminal convictions of war crimes, injustices against women, sex trafficking continues to rise. Uh, we haven't figured it out, have we? We haven't stopped it. These are terrible things. Movies and media that continue to promote violence against women and sexual immorality. Um, what a tragedy. What a terrible thing that that's what we're putting out there in front of our people on a regular basis. Challenges to the Electoral College. Now, there's a bunch of people saying we should challenge you. I don't know how you challenge a constitutional amendment. I've never seen that happen. But a bunch of people are encouraging us to do it. The Electoral College is required by the Constitution. And so we have this fight going on, this tension. We have division, division, division everywhere I look. Is this a surprise? It shouldn't be. A disappointment, maybe. I'm okay with that but not a surprise. This describes the world. And it's not the first time in history. I'm just going to read to you two verses out of Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, remember that at that time 
you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise. You were without hope and you were without God in the world. This is why Christ came. Because we are a fractured, divided, broken, sinful people. We have ample evidence of it. This is the gospel. That the one true living God loves this creation so much that he's going to do everything he can short of violating your free will to get you to trust him and turn to him. That's our hope. That's what we believe. This is what the gospel is all about. This is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent, as you so eloquently heard, is the story of God becoming flesh and coming to live with us. That's what it means, His appearing. We believe in the first Advent, and we believe in a second Advent. He will come again. He has not forgotten us. We're asking our children to give us their perspective on the various topics that are traditional with Advent. You heard Mary Grace this morning, and you'll hear more children as the season unfolds. We have more opportunity than ever, ever, to engage our community in dialogue. We do. With all the hurts and the frustrations, what are the two things that we laugh about you should never talk about, religion and politics? I think those are the two things we should always talk about. Amen. We should. Thank you. We should always talk about them. Now, I'm not saying we should lecture, persuade, try to convince. We should create dialogue, which we don't know how to do as a people group. We really struggle with that. We've struggled as a church to have dialogue in the last year and a half. It's hard to do. So one of the things I'm going to propose today is that we are, and that we should live into it, a model of how to come together. Because I know we're divided. I have coffee with you. I know we have two divides on this uh, political issue. I get that. But that's not what's important. The important is how do we come together in unity on any topic that we talk about? We should be able to engage people in honest, open dialogue. And that means our community. We can help people think through these issues. We can. Well, I just got back, as you know, from, uh, uh, from a week-long series of theology uh, society meetings, listening to theology lectures all day long. And I had lots of coffees, lunches, and dinners with people. I know that surprises you, but that is what I do. And I'm uh, chatting with people on both sides of the issue, and I'm just asking them, tell me what's in, what are you afraid of? If, when I'm talking to the Democrats, I felt a lot of fear. And when I was talking to the Republicans, I felt a lot of joy. Uh, and I kind of put them together and said, maybe this expresses what we think is a nation. Relief, terror. Maybe they go together. I don't know. That's what I heard. And so I just started asking people, tell me what it is that you're afraid of. Or what are you excited about? And invited them into the conversation. And it was amazing, the things that I heard. We can help people think through the issues. And you know what? In our own county, we can begin to think of effective solutions to some of the problems that people are concerned about. We've got to get people talking. That's the beginning of it. We can give our friends a sense of hope. But let's talk about hope. That is the topic for today. What is true hope? Well, let's think of a continuum. At one end in our culture, hope is nothing more than a wish. It's wishful thinking. I hope, as you said, as you heard Mary Grace, I hope I get this teacher. 
At the other end of this continuum, as Christians, as we move down this in our faith, we have a certain series of hopes that become expectations. They're not wishful thinking. They're expectations. And that is what should be the core of our discussion of hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's not, as a Christian. It is the expectation and anticipation for something in the future. That's what it is. Hope is the quality of the Christian life that anchors our souls. I love that metaphor out of Hebrews. I'm going to read to you Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Listen to how he uses this, the author. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Isn't that a good picture? Hope is what anchors us. It's what roots us. Wishful thinking allows for extreme disappointment. But true hope is what anchors us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. There's a reference to the Old Testament temple where the people were not allowed into the Holy of Holies. That was God's place. He's trying to teach them about how holy he is so that when Jesus comes and tears the veil, we all have access to this inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies. This becomes, this starts to frame out a sense of what our hope is. And he says, so that anchors the inner sanctuary behind the, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. So hope is the quality of the Christian life that anchors our soul. It provides the basis, the foundation for our beliefs, but it does more than that. It stabilizes our thinking. Genuine hope is what brings stability in a world that is fluctuating, changing, drastically changing and contentious. Without hope, what do we have? You see how important hope is? But hope is not grounded in just anything. If your hope is grounded in the political system, you're in for a roller coaster. (laughs) Right. I've lived long enough to now to see that we are a pendulum country. We, we have all of our hopes in one party. We vote them into office and we all smile. And then a few years later, we don't like them. We swing to the other side. Now our hopes are over here. It won't be very long. And this party and administration will do the same thing. And we're going to swing back. That's the history of our nation for 200 years. That's how we do things. And so if that's where your hope is placed in our political system, you're going to be in for a long journey. If it's in a strong military, I'm grateful. I'm a veteran. I'm grateful for a strong military. But is that where our hope should be placed? Not really. Because without, without good moral thinking, a strong military is very dangerous. It's very dangerous. How about an ideology? These are not places to place our hope. No, rather true hope comes only if we believe in a true and living God who works on our behalf. It's an, it sets up an expectation about future things. Otherwise, it's just wishful thinking. That's all it is. And we know better than that. We know better than that. Hope is grounded in faith, but not just any faith. For the Christian, hope is grounded in faith in God who will save us eternally. At the core of our hope is the resurrection of Christ. Now, I know many of you haven't thought that way, but that's Paul's argument. I'm going to read to you out of 1 Corinthians 15 as he talks about hope. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. 
But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So we're proclaiming to you that Christ is raised from the dead. How can you say he hasn't been raised from the dead? And he moves into a very wonderful logic, argument from logic. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, that's just the beginning. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that's those who have preceded us in death, that's a metaphor. So those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Now listen to his conclusion. It's a very important verse. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. We have taught something dangerously false and wasted everyone's time. You see how important the resurrection is? The resurrection is the one thing that we have that gives us proof that what God is saying is truth. What Paul says in Acts 16, 17 when he's talking to him at Mars Hill. He raised one person from the dead as proof. That is the center. That's the core of our hope. It's based on that. So at the core of our hope is the resurrection of Christ. What is hope? What is it? And why is it so important? It is the unshakable belief that God is alive and working to care for us. How strong is your hope? How would you rate your own hope? Look in the mirror for a moment. Is it unshakable? Is it unshakable in your belief that there is one true living God that we serve who is always working in our best interest? It speaks to the certainty that God is ahead of us. He's not behind us catching up. Things don't happen by coincidence. It's not that at all. It speaks of the certainty that God is ahead of us and the one who will make all things new. That's why the Bible uses that imagery. If anyone is in Christ, you're part of the new creation already. Why? So that we can reveal to a lost world this new creation and what it's all about. This election is no surprise to God. In fact, if I understand Romans 13 and 1 Timothy 2 correctly, he's the one that made it happen. I don't know what he has in mind, but he's got something in mind. This is the God that we serve. Hope is the perspective from which all else is understood and given proper meaning. If you don't have hope, nothing else begins to make sense and nothing else is important. Hope is the center from which everything else flows and meaning comes. So it's very critical how you develop your sense of hope, how you cultivate it. You see, in Jesus and therefore in us, in the church, The kingdom is present in our world right now. 
We are called the people of hope. That's what the Bible calls us. We are to be hopers. (laughs) We are. We live in a very present world that's hurting deeply. And Paul goes on in the very next verse to say that Christ is the first fruits of this new creation. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have preceded us in death. Let's do that again. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It's amazing. That's the new creation. That is the center from which our hope comes from. It is our hope for the future that dictates how we live in the present. We, as a community of faith, are a people of hope for a lost and confused world. As a people of hope, we should hold on to a vision for this world that does confront evil and does transform the world for our glory. We should stand up for what we know to be true and right. We should fight for it. We should do that. That's the responsibility that we have. It's our hope for the future that dictates how we live in the present. If your hope is wishy-washy, then you will be too. You're going to fluctuate between the extreme emotions of joy and gratitude, perhaps gloating, to fear and angst and hostility. That's what you become. Your hope is what anchors the soul. As a people of hope, we should develop and reveal expectant waiting as a lifestyle. We know that something better is coming, don't we? Do we believe that as Christians? If not, if this is it, wow. It doesn't get more disappointing if this is it. If I'm the picture of nirvana, I can tell you personally, it's hopeless. Because I know me, right? Hope, by definition, is outside of us. We live an expectant lifestyle. We believe the Lord is coming back. That's what we're doing here today, celebrating Advent. He came once, He's coming again. We live in the middle, and we believe it. We believe He's coming back. We're waiting waiting for the return of Christ and the making of all things right. You see, fear leads to a whole bucket of things that we don't want. It leads to anger, hostility, apathy, violence, confrontation, threat of evil. You could throw more things in that bucket. That's where fear leads us, doesn't it? But unlike fear, genuine hope responds to the potential for attaining good. Hope, by definition, pulls us into the future. Without hope, you live only in the past. Hope is what pulls you forward into the future. If you believe God is ahead of us in that future, then you have a legitimate basis for hope. It locates us. It places us in a story much bigger than ourselves. That's why I said, if, if this is it, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm not happy with who I am all the time. Hope places us in a bigger story. There's much more going on than my life. Much more. There's much more going on than our election because we serve the one true living God who cares about this country and the world. So the election is just a piece of a puzzle. That's all it is. It's important, 
Don't hear me wrong. But it's part of a much bigger story. Hope is a theological virtue that stands between faith and love. Think about Paul's words at the end of the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. You see, faith is the beginning of the journey. You've got to believe something. Faith is where you choose what you're going to believe. We believe in the one true living God who has revealed himself in his son Jesus. That leads to hope, a hope for the things that we can't see. If you can see it, it's not faith or hope. So that leads, into, that leads to a genuine belief that what's coming is fantastic. Then that leads us to genuine love. Now we're able to live that out in the lives of people around us, each other, as well as a broken world. If we don't have a genuine hope, then our love is not genuine. That's why it's written in that order. In fact, if our faith is not genuine, then our hope is wishy-washy. That's why what we believe is absolutely critical. So it stands between faith and love. It is difficult, I get that, it's difficult to uh, cultivate uh, a life of hope because there's so much going on around us that, that chips away at that hope. But it's not impossible. Hope places us on a journey that's filled with tension, let's be honest. It does. The moment you start to hope, it's easier to give up, isn't it? Don't you just sometimes just want to give up and say, forget it? But as long as you have hope, it's filled with tension. True hope stands against false hope. False hope must be lost before true hope can be built. If your hope is in our political system, you'll never experience true hope. You will regularly be disappointed. False hope has to be lost for true hope to be built. As long as we place our hope in the things of this world, it is only wishful thinking. So the question that automatically arises is, where is your true hope? What level of conviction do you have about the certainty of things regarding God? What do you have? What level? A side note. Despair is perhaps the most dangerous sin of all. Despair. It forces us to act out of uh, hatred, fear, anxiety, It forces us to act out of false belief. Despair does. It saps a person's motivation. That's what it does. No wonder we just passed uh, legislation on physician-assisted suicide. I'm not surprised. It captures where we are as a people. That's what despair does. Don't buy into the arguments of dignity of the human. Don't even go there. We have taught our people how to die with dignity, but we have not taught them how to die with hope. And there is a fundamental difference. That's what despair does. Those who lose hope, they lose their own story, and they lose their place in the bigger story, and they spiral into isolation. That's what happens with despair. Hope, on the other hand, picks them up, sets them on a path leading to joy, and induces them to seek for good things. That's what hope does. Without hope, 
Proverbs says, the people perish. That's our job. So what is hope? It's the unshakable belief that God is alive and working to care for us. You have nothing to fear. We serve the risen Lord Jesus, and we serve a living God who cares about this entire creation. That's what hope is all about. It's centered on the resurrection of Christ. It's surrounded by faith and love. It always looks ultimately toward the eschaton, the the hope of eternal life and the goodness of all things. That's where we're headed. However, it is grounded in and lived out in our present world, isn't it? This is where we have to live. We're not there yet. We're here. And it's grounded in this present world because we believe that God is ahead of us, is alive, and is working for our best. Hope fills the span of time between the first advent of Christ and the second advent. Christ came once. He's coming again. In between the two is hope. That's where we live. As your relationship with Christ deepens, your hope grows. That's what happens. As your relationship with the living God grows deeper and deeper, your hope grows stronger and stronger because you realize that he does have everything under control. This is what Advent is all about, isn't it? True and genuine hope. Hope fills the time between the first and second coming of Christ. So how is whatever your definition of hope is, how is it impacting your life? Does it lead you to talk to people, be inquisitive? Does it lead you to be a little more militant and lecture people, always wanting to tell? My theory is asking a person shows them how much you care about them. Telling a person what you think shows them how much you care about you. Listen to the difference. Asking a person what they think shows them how much you care about them. Telling them what you think shows them how much you care about you. I spend most of my weeks out asking people what they think. Why are you afraid? Why are you frightened? What are you angry about? What are you so excited for? Sometimes I finish conversations and... Uh, they don't even know what I think. In fact, at Pug Ryan's one time, I'm going to pick on Jesse. Jesse asked me, why do you always answer our question with a question? And I said, boy, that's a great question. Let me think about that. Why do you think I do that? And she says, well, because, ah, you just did it again. Because she's important to me. I understand that in dialogue, we explain we have a conversation. But a healthy conversation begins with questions. Wanting to know, why are, you, why are you the way you are? Why do you hurt the way you hurt? Why are you afraid? That makes us the people of hope. This is what the gospel in Advent is all about. In fact, we called it a thrill of hope. Because being hopeful is, in fact, a thrill. You want to experience a thrill? Be a person of hope. Father, thank you. Thank you for this world that we live in. Thank you that... You have not forgotten us. You came back. You remembered your promise and you came back and atoned for our sin. We are so grateful for that. And thank you that you won't forget us again. You're going to come back second time for us where you will finally make all things right. In the meantime, Lord, in that intervening span from your first coming to your second coming, help us to be people of hope to a lost world that doesn't get it. They so desperately need 
what we have to say. They need our love. They need our hope. They need our care. Help us to be that way. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and take the offering. Uh, By the way, did you know that when you give, that's an expression of your hope? It really is. It's an expression that your money is not that important to you. You're willing to give it to others for a better use. That's what Paul says. It's an expression of your faith in the gospel. I just want to say thanks for being a people of hope. I love the way you give. Now we come to my favorite part of the week when we get to celebrate communion together. You know, uh, many of you know I was gone two weeks ago to uh, do the memorial service for my grandmother, 100 years old, and uh, it was a joyful time of saying goodbye, crying as a whole. Um, but she, she just lived life the way life should be lived. But it dawned on me while I was doing her memorial service, and speaking right smack in the middle of it, it hit me, the... Uh, the, the last person who has said to me, I've prayed for you every day of your life, just died. There's no other person alive that has said that to me. I have people that have said, I prayed for you for 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, 30 years, but the last person that says, I prayed for you your entire life is now gone. Where would I be without hope? That'd be a scary place. Well, as a person of hope, you know what I did? I said, that means that I just took her role. I'm that generation now. So my kids, I pray for them every day. That's what it means. And that's what communion is all about. Christ said, I'm going away. Where I go, you cannot come. I'm going to prepare a place. But I'm not going to forget you. I'm coming back. That's Advent. I'm coming back. So that where I am, you might be also. That's hope. He didn't forget us. I'm going to give you just a few seconds to pause and thank the Lord for that. And if your faith is not very strong right now, that's okay. Just ask the Lord for help.
The Bible's full. Our church is full of people on various stages of faith and hope and confidence. Just pray and ask him to help you. In preparation to celebrate communion, I'm going to ask some of you to come up and get ready to service the cup and the bread. And others of you would like to come up and maybe pray with people. For those of you that are visitors, we end our time each week together as a community of hope, celebrating what Christ has done. And some of us up here don't have anything in our hands. We're here to, to encourage you, to hug you, to pray for you, to do all that. So um, when you come up, you can... You can take communion, and you can stop and pray if you want. You know the stories. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when you come forward, somebody's going to say, this is the body of Christ given for you. That's hope, isn't it? After supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. What we've been waiting for. He stepped in and rescued us. That's what a new covenant's all about, isn't it? So when you come forward, somebody will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. That's what communion is all about. We remember the hope that we have. Titus calls it the blessed hope of Christ. We have a genuine hope. So we can anticipate and expect the future of a good God. Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for, uh, for dying for us. There are no words, Lord, that we could ever say that express our gratitude enough. But what we can do is, by your grace, live faithful lives. And that's our commitment. In your name we pray. Amen. Come and celebrate communion together.
as you uh, go out into the week and your various lives and jobs and things that you're doing, uh, be mindful of one thing. Christmas Eve is one of those times when people will come to church. They will. Uh, This place is packed on Christmas Eve. Like I said, we have like a thousand every year that come. It's full. And one of the ways that you can invite them that's non-risky is you can just say to your friends, if you're looking for a place to worship on Christmas Eve, come join us. Uh, We said this every Advent last year, and I was stunned at the number of people. I stood right there at the end as they piled out and said, I came because so-and-so invited me. I came because so-and-so talked to me. In fact, I talked to one of the restaurant owners, and uh, I said, thanks for coming. He goes, well, I had 30 people in your church invite me. (laughs) (laughs) Just remember, Christmas Eve is one of the times that people will come out, and we get to tell them about Jesus and what hope truly is about. Okay? Don't be afraid. Engage your friends in dialogue. It's okay. Ask them what they think about the election, and just listen to them, and you'll learn about the fears or the hopes that they have. My prayer for you is that you experience the peace of Christ this week. Go in peace. Have a great week.